So tonight, I want to share with you a message uh, entitled, For His Name's Sake. Um, but before we get into the message, I just want to uh, spend a time to just dive down and, and just uh, pray tonight. Um, Heavenly Father, we ask you uh, to come into this room and to just guide us and to be with us. Um, have the words that come out be the words that you want, the message that you want us to hear. Help us so that we may see your will, that you may soften hearts, that you will bring revival in this church, in this neighborhood, in this town, this country, this state, and beyond to the farthest regions of the world, and have the gospel re reach the remotest areas. We pray for the staff that are here, the volunteers, the church members, visitors who are here, and we pray this all for the glory of your name, in Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to focus on the first half of one of the most popular psalms, Psalm 23. So as you turn to there, I want to share this with you. In one of the Superman movies, Superman saves a man from a burning building. He rescues him from the top floor and is carrying him to safety by flying through the skies. The man looks at Superman, then looks down at the ground. I'm scared. Superman, look how far down this, that is. Superman gives him a great answer. Now, if I delivered you from the burning fire, what makes you think I'm going to drop you when I'm carrying you to safety? So, if God saved us from hell, if he saved us from the chains of sin, if he ultimately saved us from the wrath that was set before him, do we really think that he's going to drop us now? So, as we go into the first half of Psalms, let's take a look um, and dive deeper into what it means for God to be our shepherd. The text reads in Psalm 23, verses 1 to 3, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So before we dissect the text and really dive into it, let's look at some background on this. What we see here is one of the most well-known psalms uh, in the Old Testament, and, and many of us can see what David here is doing is he is presenting the Lord's faithfulness that he has seen throughout his life. This is a hymn of confidence. Charles Spurgeon in his masterpiece commentary, The Treasury of David, says this about Psalm 23. The position of this psalm is worthy of notice. It follows the 22nd, which is peculiarly the psalm of the cross. There is no green pastures no still waters on the other side of the 22nd Psalm. It is only after we have read, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That we come to the Lord is my shepherd. We must, by experience, know the value of the blood shedding to see the sword awakened against the shepherd before we shall be able to truly know the sweetness of the good shepherd's care. So as we uh, dive in into these three verses, I want to focus on six points. God's shepherding, God's provisions, God's leading, God's restoring, God's guidance, 
and ultimately God's motivation. So we'll go on to the first part with God's shepherding. In our text in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. So before understanding the shepherd, first we have to understand the sheep. The sheep are the people of God, the elect, genuine believers of Christ. The attributes of the sheep are as followers, uh, as, as follows. First, sheep are dumb. Now, <laughs> now, this may sound very mean, okay? But I want you to be the judge. What I'm about to read to you is an actual news report. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths this week while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 15 meters to their deaths in a province near Iran and broke the fall of another 1,100 sheep who survived. So one sheep wandered off a cliff. Another 1,499 continued to follow one after the other after the other. That's an actual news report. Second, sheep are directionless. If you bring sheep into an area where they have everything that they need, they will still randomly go off and wander and get lost. Peter even mentions this as he's talking about it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Sheep are also completely defenseless. They can't fight. They're very slow, so they can't run away. And they have no means to scare off a predator. So when danger comes, what do sheep do? They flock together into a pack and go in circles and panic. That's what sheep do. So when we understand sheep, we realize that sheep are in desperate need for a shepherd. So the shepherd is God. And the image of God being the shepherd carries such rich meaning. He, the shepherd always stays with his flock. And the sheep are totally dependent upon him for food, for water, for protection from wild animals. The image of God as a shepherd points to his continual direction, his guidance, and his care for his people. The church is God's flock. Psalms mentions this in Psalms 78, verses 52. But he led forth his own people like sheep, and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. So we looked at the attributes of the sheep. What are the attributes of the shepherd? The shepherd leads and guides his sheep to safety. He provides for his sheep to cover all their needs. He protects the sheep from danger. He saves the sheep when they are lost and scattered. And this is an amazing fact. A, sheep would, a shepherd would actually live with the sheep for 24 hours a day. This is unwavering dedication. Day and night, regardless of the weather, the shepherd was there. Again, why? For the purpose to nurture, guide, and protect. Even to the point where the shepherd would risk his very life for their protection. So to the sheep, the shepherd is everything. A constant provider and a protector for them. Scripture again goes on and paints a very clear characteristic of the shepherd in Isaiah 40, verse 11. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom, and he will gently lead the nursing ewes. So the shepherd, another thing we should know is that the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. 
This is us, the believers, the, the elect, the ones who are his followers. We recognize his voice. And that's why we see in John chapter 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my own and my own know me. So as a note here from what David says, he does not say if or but or I hope so. David says the Lord is my shepherd. So we have to have confidence and, and realize that there's assurance in our belief in him. And the sweetest word in this passage is my. He doesn't say that the Lord is the shepherd of the whole world. No, wait. David says the Lord is my shepherd. That means that even if he was a shepherd of nobody else, he is the shepherd to me. He cares for me. He watches over me. He preserves me. God's provision. We continue on in verse 1. I shall not want. So if we are in fellowship with God, if we are in Christ, he will provide for all our needs. We will lack nothing. Completely satisfied in him. We, we, if we turn to Luke chapter 12 or Matthew chapter 6, we see what he says. Does he not provide for the ravens? Does he not cause the lilies to grow? Then how can he leave his children to starve physically? And how so can he leave his children to starve spiritually? But his grace is sufficient for us. So it's not only I do not want, but I shall not want. Okay, so even if someone is wealthier or wiser, they may want, but as for us in Christ, I shall not want. Okay, the wicked always want more and more and more, but the righteous never do. The sinner's heart is far from satisfied, always hungry, always starving, never satisfied, it is a void that they have that they try to fill with whatever sin that they try to do, whether it's drugs, a passion, lust, any type of sin. They're consistently throwing it into that void, and it cannot sustain because the hole that we have is a God-shaped hole. However, the sinner's heart is, uh, however, a gracious spirit is content. We are not only filled but we are overflowing, and that's why we can love others. That his love fills our void and that we are able to share that love then with others. God's leading. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Green pastures represent for the sheep their necessity for food there. Ezekiel 34.14 I will feed them in good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on mountain heights of Israel. They will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. Quiet waters refers to the places where the sheep both get water and much-needed rest. Now, sheep, as we've seen from them, they're easily frightened. So running water actually spooks them. So what a shepherd has to do is get large rocks and, and, and kind of dam up the, the running water to allow the waters to come in at a more slower rate so that the sheep can then peacefully drink the water. So this is the work that the shepherd does for the sheep. So he does not just lead us into serenity, but he provides for our needs. He leads to our physical needs. He provides us for our food and drink. He provides us with our daily bread but he also provides us for our spiritual needs. Revelation 7:17. For the lamb in the center of the throne 
will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of water of life. And the God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He is a comforter, and he will wipe our tears. Philippians 4.19 reads, And my God will supply all, the, all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Spurgeon in his commentary continues when speaking about this. What are these green pastures but the scriptures of truth? Always fresh, always rich, and never exhausted. There is no fear of biting and bare ground when the grass is long enough for the flock to lie down in. Sweet and full, the doctrines of the gospel, fit food for souls, as tender grass is natural nourishment for sheep. Another note about the sheep is that they are very fearful. So when they are, when they are um, spooked, they're easily panicked. And what they do then is that they refuse then to lie down and rest. And that's why the shepherd is the one who, it's only the shepherd that can calm down the sheep and make them lie down. That's why the scripture says, he makes me lie down. He actually has to make us lie down. He has to calm us down. So this is speaking to the peace that God gives us, true satisfaction that only God can provide for his flock. God's restoration. First part of verse 3. He restores my soul. Now this idiom refers to the physical renewal um, that the sheep experience of what we talked about in his previous verses. He provides for their food, their water, and their rest. But he restores far more than us physically. More importantly, he restores us spiritually. When the soul grows sorrowful, he revives it. When it is sinful, he sanctifies it. When it is weak, he strengthens it. He restores us completely. When we were dead to ourselves, he made us into a brand new creation. He makes us born again. He resurrects us. He brings life into dead bones. We see that in Ezekiel 36. In Ezekiel, uh, in Ezekiel 37. In Ezekiel 36, the stone hearts that we had, he softens them. This is the good shepherd. Amen, yes. God's guidance. We continue in verse 3. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. So he is our guide. Okay? He guides us. Why? Because we have to stay on a narrow track. So many obstacles are trying to pull us away. It's a narrow track. Not many will get there. So he is our guide. He is our lighthouse that we have to focus on. Keep your eyes fixed on him. He keeps us on the path for righteousness. And he preserves us to the very end. Now there are tons of scripture about it. But Romans 8.1 That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And if you look through the Gospel of John, I'm going to just give these out there that you can look at and how he preserves us. But John chapter 5 verse 24, John chapter 6, verse 35 to 37, John chapter 10, verse uh, 27 to 29, that goes on and on and on. He will preserve us until the end. We do not have to fear. If we are in him, he will provide us the means and we will be there at the very end with him. So though we may stumble at times, we will never fall away. So think of it this way. The Holy Spirit testifies and points to Jesus. And Jesus, who is the only way, then, to the Father. 
So we see the work of the Trinity at work here. He leads us to a life of sanctification. What that means is that we are becoming more and more Christ-like. So though, again, we may take a step back, we're taking three steps forward. We're looking a lot less like the world and looking a lot more like Christ. And then, when our life ends, or when He returns, whatever comes first, we will be glorified in our new resurrected bodies. I believe, church, that's a very good amen. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) And the final point. God's motivation. All these things that we just discussed about, why? Why is he doing this? What is the reason that he is doing this? Why does God do what God does? The end of verse 3 is key here. For his name's sake. Everything God does is for his purpose. Everything is done for his name's sake. God functions as the shepherd of his people for the glory of his own name. So we see this over and over and over again in Scripture. Now, I literally took just a little handful of it, but I want to show you what I'm saying because sometimes this jives us in in the wrong way. we, We think, wait, what do you mean God's doing this all for himself? But trust me here, okay? See what the Scriptures say and see why this is a blessing. Psalms 31.3, For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. Psalms 25.11, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Psalms 106.8, Nevertheless, he saved me for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. Psalms 79.9, Help us, O God, of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us and forgive us our sins for your name's sake. Psalms 109.21, But you, O God, the Lord, deal kindly with me for your name's sake. Because of your loving kindness is good. Deliver me. Now many of these things, we see the psalmist attributing it to God, but what does God have to say about it himself? Now we know that it's all God-breathed, but what does God say? We see it in Ezekiel 20, verse 9. But I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profane in the sight of the nations among whom they live, in whose sight I made myself known to them by bringing them out of the land of Egypt. The miracles that Christ did, that God did when he brought the Israelite people out of Egypt was for his name's sake. It was to bring up for a purpose. We see that what he does is for a purpose for the glory of his name. Isaiah 43:25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my sake and I will not remember your sins. That is amazing to hear. That it's dependent on his own sake, that he will have mercy on me, and to wipe away my transgressions and not remember my sins, for his name's sake, then hallelujah. Then that's why we always praise him, and we bring the glory to him. And I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this one here. Isaiah 48, 9, For the sake of my name I delay my wrath, and for my praise I restrain it for you in order not to cut you off. This is amazing here. The wrath that's coming down on us, that should be, he delays it for his name's sake, so we should be praising him too. Again, but why does he do this? There is nothing in all of existence, nothing seen or unseen, that is greater than him. Nothing is greater than our almighty God. When God makes a promise, 
he swears by his own name, for there is no other name higher than his name. He is the great I am. Who else can identify their name as simply I am? All glory, all praise, all worship, all focus is to be on him. The reality of the case is that the Bible is not actually about us. Okay? We are not the heroes. Now, Matt Chandler has an amazing sermon where he goes into a church and he preaches this message, and it's a hard message for him to hear. But he clarifies this, and I think it's a message we all need to hear. We've seen it so many times, the, the different memes and the different things that people will try to attribute. But here, let me make this very clear. We are not David, and our problems are not Goliath. Okay? Let me make that clear. Jesus is the hero. The giant that he defeated was sin, death, and Satan himself. So what does that make us? Let us be clear to I realize what character we are in the story. We are the scared Israelites. That's who we are, and that's why we need to praise him and realize where we are in the story and how thankful we should be that he came and defeated these monsters because when we saw Satan, we fell. When we saw sin, we folded. When we saw death, we ran. But he defeated it, and that is amazing. The Bible is ultimately about God. God is doing all, first and foremost, for his glory. We are rebellious, selfish, liars, murderers, hateful, disobedient, enemies on the Most High, and I could go on and on and on and on. As we discussed with the sheep, without God, what are we? Dumb, directionless, and defenseless. But God is not doing all this for our great personalities or our, our loving nature. No. God is, God is for God, and that is a good thing. So you may ask, why is that a good thing? I'm glad, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because his attributes are consistent and never changing. Because God is for the glory of his own name, his attitude towards us will not change. No matter how depraved we are, we don't have to worry. John 10:11 shows us, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He loves us because he is love. Because of Jesus' perfect, complete work on the cross, because of Jesus' righteousness that's been imputed, which means transferred to us, we now have fellowship with the Most High God. We benefit for having God do things for the glory of his name. Because we have a Trinitarian God, because he is three persons in one, that means from the very beginning, there has never been a time it did not exist, God has always been love. He is at his very core relational. And because he is love, he loves us. He did not have to create us to love us, to experience love. Any other gods that you look at, when they, when they create something, then they can love. God has always been love. So he loves us. So if God loved us primarily for who we are, just remember that what happened with the fall. That means we would have messed this up a long time ago. Literally for a piece of fruit, we walked away from paradise, from, from, from all goodness, from no pain and all that stuff, and we screwed this up. 
Okay? So we have to be happy that this does not rest on our shoulders. We have to be thankful that God is for God, and therefore, as a result, God is for us. Can I get an amen? Thank you. And as I close this, I want to leave with a story. It's actually a story about Psalms 23 itself. The story is told of an outstanding actor who was asked to entertain one evening at an immense dinner party. As the great actor arose to speak, the room was filled with excitement as the eager guests anticipated his message. The star of the day said that he was going to recite the 23rd Psalm. This he did in a dramatic and eloquent manner. As soon as he had finished, the chamber roared with applause and an audience arose to a standing ovation. The next speaker of the evening was an elderly white-haired man who who was bowed and feeble, worn by many long years of steadfast, patient labor as a missionary. A hush fell over the audience as he arose. After a moment, silence, he said humbly, I too would like to recite the shepherd's psalm. Then he lifted his face slightly toward heaven. He closed his eyes and began, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When the servant of the Lord finished, a pin could have been heard if one had dropped to the floor. This time, there was no applause. There was no standing ovation. Not a sound was heard. Yet throughout the room, there was not a dry eye, Tears were flowing freely. Shortly after, a man approached the outstanding actor and said to him, I don't understand. You said the same thing. Your presentation was perfect in every way. Yet when he spoke, he was halting in perfect manner. People were moved too deeply for words. What made the difference? The actor hesitated. And then he replied, The answer is simple. I knew the 23rd Psalm, and I knew it well. But he knew the shepherd. So as of right now, as we we call Pastor Wayne and and the band right now, I wanted to leave us with this, and I want to ask you all a question here. Do you know the shepherd? If not, will you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today? Will you accept Jesus as the Lord of your life? Will you surrender to him everything that you have? Because he wants everything. Are you not tired of carrying a weight that you cannot bear on your own? Have you realized how helpless we truly are yet? 
Without a shepherd, we are lost, wandering about, easily frightened, completely defenseless, in need of a Savior. So come to the shepherd. Are you the one? He left the 99 for the one. Come to the shepherd. We've all been the one at one point, but he always leaves the 99 to come to the one. So we've got to come to the shepherd. Come experience green pastures and quiet waters. Come into fellowship with the Most High God, the Almighty God, and mark today as a day that Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. Amen.